Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM, brought to you this week by Curiosity Stream. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Jason. Welcome back. Woo, we're back. We're back. It's been a fortnight and a day. It's been a fortnight and a day, a little bit. We we uh, we had some some travel uh, issues and scheduling things, and we also wanted to wait to let our topic kind of sink in a little bit because we're doing all Juno all the time. Big stuff happened this week. Big, big, big stuff. No time for pre-flight checklists. Although nope. lots of other interesting things are happening, so next week we'll catch up on that. Next fortnight. Next fortnight. You mean yes. <laughs> It's good. There'll, there'll be a good catch-up show, but but uh, yeah, there's so much going on that. Uh, but we're only going to talk about Juno this time. That's it. That's, That's it. That's all. So we're going to dive into a bunch of stuff. But to sort of set the stage, uh, I'm sure it's been all over the news, uh, including like mainstream news. Like our, it was like oh yeah, <laughs> on the front page of like the local newspaper. It was really kind of crazy. Uh, NASA's Juno probe was successfully inserted into orbit around Jupiter uh, the evening of July 4th U.S. time. And it's big and exciting, so we uh, are going to dedicate an entire show to it because it's only the set. Was the second uh, spacecraft to to be in orbit around Jupiter? Yeah, that was that was when I wrote I wrote a little post about it on on the on the fourth um, on Six Colors, just linking people to the fact that the, this existed and they should pay attention to it. And that was that was the little trivia bit that I dropped, which is, you know, uh, planetary explorations are rare. We haven't really in the grand scheme of things done that many of them and this is the largest planet in the solar system it's got more it's got twice as much material as everything in the solar system except for the sun put together and yet we how many probes have we uh, sent in orbit around jupiter one galileo that's it this is number two so it's it's a big step and it's, it's also rare that we have two of these things going on at once so we have spacecraft orbiting two planets in the outer solar system it's, it's yeah, super strange. Yeah, there's a, a tweet from Emily Lakdawalla that's in the show notes. That's the uh, it's uh, it's Juno plus uh, Cassini for more than a year. We'll have two of them. Just uh, but who's counting? She says <laughs> uh, it's pretty cool. Also, I, I wanted to mention um, somebody. One of our listeners sent us a, a a tweet, sort of an embarrassed tweet about how in I believe he's in Chile. And they, he, there's video of a Chilean news report that shows about Juno, but it shows the International Space Station. And one of the newscasters basically says, we are very proud of those brave astronauts who are going so far away with no chance of returning home. <laughs> what? Oh, uh, that oh well. really makes my heart hurt in a, a, lot, of, a lot of different ways. <laughs> Thank you to the listener who I'm not going to name because I don't want to get him in trouble for sending us that link. So in the show notes, we have several links to various NASA and JPL pages talking about Juno, talking about the insertion itself, which is kind of why this is in the in the news. But we thought we'd, we'd back up a little bit and talk about Juno itself, the spacecraft, and the mission of why all this is, uh, is going on. So the spacecraft itself, uh, it's basically 11 and a half feet high, uh, 11 and a half feet in diameter, and it is solar powered. And that's really a pretty unique and a pretty special thing about Juno because it's the, the first deep space solar powered craft. Yeah, it's, uh, the, it has these three huge solar panels 
Uh, they're 30, 30 feet by nine feet, or that's, uh, for those who are metric nine meters by about two and a half meters. They're huge solar panels. Um, the Rosetta probe, which was the, that's the comet, right? Um, that, uh, that from, uh, from the European space agency that was previously the most distant solar powered spacecraft, um, I'll put a link in the show notes to this article on the Economist's website about NASA trying to do some more solar because one of the challenges is that the uh, the other way that they generate power on space missions uses plutonium two thirty eight, and it's actually hard to find. Um, uh, they stopped making it in the U.S. in 1988 and then had to start importing it from Russia. They're trying to find a way to generate either more plutonium in the U.S. or find an alternative, but it's it's problematic. And then, of course, there are also all the issues about if you've got rad- a lot of radioactive stuff on a, on a rocket launch, you're risking uh, it crashing and spreading plutonium everywhere, which is also bad. So... Um, there are lots of reasons to use solar, right? Current, current solar technology, the feeling is, isn't really capable of powering a spacecraft beyond about Jupiter. Um, but, you know, there are always advances being made in, in solar power, as well as research into other, um, other powering mechanisms that could be used for, for deeper, uh, deeper exploration. And I believe that Economist article is by our friend Glenn Fleischman, but the Economist doesn't name names in their stories. But I think Glenn wrote that one. The spacecraft itself is about 1,600 kilograms, not including fuel. And uh, you talk about the size of the solar panels. Obviously, that's a lot of weight, but you also have the titanium radiation vault. So we'll get into this more in in a little while, but Jupiter spins off an amazing uh, magnetosphere of radioactive particles. And that is uh, bad news to, you know, uh, different types everything. of everything, <laughs> different types of everything, uh, all of these really fine grained scientific instruments. And so everything, uh, that is sensitive to that is built within this titanium vault that makes up the heart of the spacecraft. Uh, also on the spacecraft under a thermal blanket, keeping nice and snug, uh, are three Lego minifigures, um, which is pretty hilarious. It's, uh, it's of, of uh, Jupiter or Zeus and Juno, and also of Galileo, the discoverer of the planet Jupiter. Uh, they're all made by the Lego company uh, with one difference, which is instead of it being extruded out of plastic, they are uh, they were made out of space-grade aluminum. And yes, space-grade aluminum is a thing. Uh, so they're they're all kind of gray. They're they're not nothing to look at, and they will. Uh, meet the same fate as Juno, but it's still pretty cool. There are little Lego minifigs on there, <laughs> as well as a plaque provided by the Italian Space Agency that uh, includes a self-portrait of Galileo and uh, his, uh, like a page that he wrote about observing Jupiter in his own handwriting that are on that plaque. I, lo- I just love that sort of stuff. Like the, um, we talk about it on the Voyager missions, right? The the content the that's on the, on the discs, but yeah. Uh, Something about space-grade aluminum Lego people just really makes me smile. A real-time follow-up, Brian Madonna in the chat room. He's absolutely right. He didn't... uh, Jupiter is visible in the night sky. Uh, Galileo didn't discover Jupiter. He discovered, yes. He he invented the telescope and discovered lots of details of Jupiter, as well as the Galilean moons, which are named after Galileo. 
See, isn't it nice when people correct the stupid things we say live before the before the podcast gets posted? What that means, by the way, is that anybody who tweets at us that I got that wrong, I'm going to know exactly what minute of the podcast you haven't listened to. <laughs> That's right. Keep listening. We corrected. <laughs> so unlike a lot of previous uh, Jupiter flyby. So the Voyager actually came by Jupiter, but even the Galileo mission in the 90s was really split between Jupiter and its moons, which of course are, right. are a fascinating set of worlds. They're very interesting moons. Yeah, very absolutely. Interesting. Um, but Juno is all about the planet itself. Yeah. It's passing very close to Jupiter's cloud tops, uh, closer than any orbiting probe has before. And it's really to analyze the atmosphere around Jupiter to look into it, uh, to map that magnetic field, and uh, to hopefully paint a picture of uh, the planetary core, of which there are many theories. The big, the big question here is how Jupiter was formed. So there, there's kind of two big schools of thought. One is that it started sort of, if you will, from the bottom up, that maybe there were large objects that collided and merged to create a core, and then because that core was massive and had gravity, it pulled all this gas into it and, and then formed that way? Or did it form from the top down, directly from the disk of materials? And we talked about that on a very early episode, about the spinning disk of material orbiting the sun that became our solar system. And we, we don't know. I mean, that's the amazing thing. You mentioned the, the core. We don't know. There are lots of theories. This is, this is one of those areas that's really kind of fun that... that Although we learned a lot about Jupiter and about the the entire uh, system of moons around Jupiter, um, they're, they're just huge things that we don't know that would be the same in a book written today as in the book about the planets that I had when I was in first grade, because Jupiter's interior is a complete uh, mystery. Um, I also like the the way we, the way uh, you worded that about how it's the first it's the closest any orbiting probe has gotten because of course um, we I believe Galileo sent a a little guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> into Jupiter uh, and you know and then it goes down and gets crushed and then and then Galileo itself was sent to crash into Jupiter which basically is how you dispose of something um, in uh, without contaminating it with like the moons with with Earth stuff is you just send it in there but those those were one-way trips and uh juno keeps passing close and surviving in a way that uh, uh hopefully in a way that those uh, those doomed missions you know it was that last shot as we're going down we'll radio back what we can until we're gone and juno is meant to be a much more detailed than that yeah you sort of glossed over that but i think it's worth uh highlighting the reason you don't want to crash a spacecraft into one of the many moons of Jupiter is because it's thought that some of those moons could harbor life, or at least the recipe for life. Yeah, Europa especially, right? Exactly. The idea there is the last thing you'd want to do is is contaminate, potentially at all, contaminate someplace that we're looking for life with stuff from Earth, because not only might it be bad for that theoretical life, but also it makes it almost impossible for us to tell w what we are looking at. Are we just looking at our own contamination? And so scientists, uh, any place where they think there might be life, they're trying to, to avoid that kind of contamination. So that was the goal all along. And that's Juno's, Juno's ultimate fate will be to crash into Juno. Jupiter so that it doesn't contaminate anything either. And it's worth a little sidecar into the the makeup of Jupiter. We're not going to do a full dive into into Jupiter uh, this this episode, but we would be crushed by the pressure that, of it for one. That's true. <laughs> Although we survived the <laughs> Venus episode, so all right, that's true. That's true. We're resilient. The atmosphere is made of all sorts of super fun stuff: hydrogen, 
ammonia. And it, it is thought that once you get down into the atmosphere, as the pressure gets higher and the temperature goes up, you actually end up with what's called liquid metal hydrogen, which is a lovely concoction of hydrogen with shared electrons. And that means it can do all sorts of crazy stuff like conduct electricity. It's where it's thought that big magnetosphere comes from. And it's actually hotter than the surface of the sun, but it's liquid. And so the, the question is, beneath that, as the temperature and pressure go up, is there a solid core? And it's, it's just really unknown. I mean, I read papers saying both things uh, this week. So that's really at the heart of this mission is to, to scan Jupiter, to, to peer into its depths, and to try to get an understanding of how it formed and, and what's going on beneath the cloud tops. Because that's all we can see from our vantage point, just the very tops of those massive boiling clouds. Right, and I, I remember reading a science fiction novel when I was a kid that was that said that, uh, which I think I don't think people believe anymore. Although they, there may be some people who still believe it that it, there could even be at the core of Jupiter, um, like a diamond, like the size of the Earth. I think they don't believe that anymore. But that was the idea. Like under intense pressure uh, with carbon, you could end up with this like a diamond layer, uh, which I mean, it's it's fanciful, and yet also that's the level of weirdness we're talking about with Jupiter. It's weird stuff happening down there. That's not the same process we see in the sun. The uh, So this goal helped understand the, the origin and evolution of Jupiter. And that's really going to paint, help paint a picture of the early solar system. You know, there's a lot of questions about how Jupiter got to be the size that it is. And this answer of if there's a core or not would put a lot of those at rest. Right. It's a. It's not just a question about like the history of Jupiter, um, because somebody might say, well, so what? It's interesting, but you know, what's the bigger picture? Th- this is about the solar system as a whole. There's some thought about like the evolution of the solar system. Did Jupiter begin closer in and then migrate out because that would have a because of its gravity that would have had a huge effect on the other planets in the solar system if that happened. And we don't really know. There are lots of models of like different ways to do this, but the more data you get about the composition of Jupiter. Jupiter, the better idea can start to form about where it might have uh, formed or uh, migrated from. So we're going to talk a little bit about how Juno got uh, to Jupiter. But first, we're going to take a quick break and talk about our sponsor this week, Curiosity Stream. Curiosity Stream is the world's first ad-free nonfiction streaming service. It was founded by John Hendricks, founder of Discovery Communications. Curiosity Stream has a ton of great content, over 1,400 titles and 600 hours of content. It's available in 196 countries worldwide, and it's on just about any platform you can think of, including the web, Roku, Android, iOS, Chromecast, Amazon Fire, Amazon Kindle, and Jason's favorite, the Apple TV. <laughs> Sorry, that was way too excited for the Apple TV, but I wanted to go with you there. <laughs> There's a wide variety of science and technology content, including uh, nature, history, space stuff, of course, and much, much more. And they've launched over 50 hours of 4K content. That makes Curiosity Stream one of the largest 4K libraries online. Now, it's not just documentaries. Curiosity Stream also has interviews and lectures, like Stephen Hawking's Universe. Uh, Next World, The Human Face of Big Data, and The Road to Singularity. Lots of great titles. Plans start at just $2.99 a month, which is less than a cup of coffee, or the cost of one title on competing on-demand platforms. So go check out curiositystream.com slash RelayFM and use the promo code RelayFM during sign-up to get unlimited access to the world's top documentaries and nonfiction series, completely free for the first 60 days. That's two entire months 
of free access to one of the largest 4K libraries around. You can go stream stuff for free, 60 days. Go to curiositystream.com slash RelayFM. Use the offer code RelayFM at sign up uh, so they know you came from us. Thank you so much to Curiosity Stream for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Um, I had two other uh, notes that I just wanted to uh, go over uh, before we move on from overview of Juno, which is um, the way we look at Jupiter. You know, we have this vision of it. And, you know, when you're a kid, you learn generally, hopefully, that Jupiter, because it's a gas giant, doesn't have a surface. There's no surface of Jupiter. What we see are clouds. We're seeing the cloud tops. It's uh, there's no ground beneath it per se. There's it's this just huge amount envelope of gas, and then who knows what's down there? Metallic hydrogen, metallic helium, big diamonds, whatever. Um, aliens, this uh, you know floating gas bag whale hmm. life creatures. Hmm. I've read that. I've read that story too. Um, uh, but but we only see the cloud tops. And and what's really interesting about Jupiter is in different wavelengths, you you can see down to different levels of the of, of uh, through the clouds. Um, and and uh, there are the different kinds, you know, ammonia and hydrogen, helium, different different kinds of gases that are visible uh, in the in the cloud tops. Um, and uh, and suspended crystals and things like that. It's a fascinating system, incredibly dynamic. Um, one of the exciting things about uh, about Juno is that it is going to be presenting us with some of the highest resolution images of Jupiter ever because it has a really good camera and will be incredibly close to the uh, surface uh, or the cloud tops. And so we're going to be able to see uh, just I think I think they're going to be mind blowing details of what these gas patterns look like, and I'm hoping i don't know what their plan is that they will also at some point be able to be stitched together into kind of even more mind-blowing panoramas of uh of what it's what it's seeing so we'll see as we go so juno was launched way back in august 2011 it takes a while to get to jupiter it turns out it takes and, a little time and 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 we talked about this um about new horizons and it was true too what one of the things that the that the people who who fly spacecraft, and there are only so many of these people in the world because there aren't that many spacecraft, but they've gotten really good at gravity assist where you go past a planet and it gives you a boost. You steal a little momentum from the planet and it get, lets your probe go a little bit faster. Um, and so in the case of Juno, it launched in August 2011 and then came back around Earth in 2013 uh, so, so a little more than two years later, two years and a couple of months later, it flew past Earth, and that flyby gave it the gravity boost to be one of the fastest uh, spacecraft that that uh, that has existed, um, and and get it to kick off all the way to Jupiter. And even with the great speed that it had, it took from October 2013 till July of 2016 for it to get to Jupiter. There's a really cool GIF in the show notes that sort of outlines that. It's simplistic, but it shows it spinning around, catching back up with Earth, and then shooting out to the uh, the outer solar system. Yeah, and then and finally making its way to Jupiter um, on you know this week. It's uh, yeah the the that's a great little animation of how it works. And then they also NASA released an animation of uh, of the Jupiter system. Uh, and it's, there's a video that we'll put in the show notes that sort of, uh, got all this wrappers or the wrapper around it of like, oh, here's Galileo's telescope and all of that. But at the core of it, as it was approaching Jupiter, um, uh, Juno was able to take, uh, these pictures of Jupiter and the four 
main moons of Jupiter um, going around it. In uh, and it's pretty amazing. Uh, and they, what they said was, it's essentially like a uh, digital camera in, in terms of quality. It's a, it's like a, this wide, you know, optical viewfinder, and they're they're pointing it in the direction they're going, which is Jupiter. And it's a perspective that's actually really hard to get from close in. You can get it from Earth, but to to see it this close and 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 for such an extended period of time, where you're not on again on Earth looking out and having to deal with Earth's rotation uh, and and uh, turning toward the sun and turning away from it here in space, it was just able to point itself at Jupiter and show these four little dots zipping around it at their different speeds. And I think most impressively to me, um, winking out as they go behind the night side of Jupiter. And you know that at that point they're in Jupiter's shadow and they and, and then they pop back into the light. It's pretty amazing. It's really cool. Uh, I saw some people on Twitter asking you know, why this this video wasn't closer. And as Juno approached Jupiter, they actually turned off all the instruments so they could conserve yeah. power and focus on the insertion, which is basically hitting the brakes really hard and stopping in the right place. Um, so it would be cool to see this thing grow and Jupiter just take over. But the this motion of these moons orbiting Jupiter is mesmerizing to watch. And And again, like you said, something we, we can't see from our point of view, something that you can only really see uh, from a spacecraft. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I guess we should talk about what actually happened, huh? Yeah, let's do that. Leading up to July 4th, several things had to happen. Yeah, in in sequence, like you said, um, they had to turn everything off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, not I mean, not everything, but it... it, it um, they turned off... It's like the thing needed to be focused, like focus on your job. Your job is to not, you know, not do anything wrong and miss Jupiter. <laughs> like, do what you need to to get into... So it, it on July 4th, it turned away from the sun. Uh, it spins. Uh, Juno spins. And it usually spins at about 2 RPM. But uh, for this portion, for I believe for increased stability, they spun it up to 5 RPM. So it's it's like a, it's zipping like a pinwheel or something. It's like this pinwheel is going to Jupiter. Um, 5 RPM. And they, and, and they, they turn the, the solar panels away from the sun because they need to be facing in the right direction for the main engine to fire. And this is the point where you're basically losing contact. The, the, the systems are shut down. Uh, you're turned away from the sun. Uh, you're spinning at 5 RPM. And that's when the engine burn happens. So they start the burn. Uh, the engine burns for 35 minutes. There's a tone that is sent back to Earth that indicates, essentially, I started the burn. And that is the first moment of applause that happened on the 4th of July in the, uh, as, as we were saying before we got started, pretty dry broadcast of this, where it's just like a whole bunch of people sitting in a room uh, waiting for something to happen and knowing also the added burden of like years of their lives that are could just be wrecked if something bad happens right so no pressure uh and so they do the tone and there's a and there's applause and that indicates that the engine fired which is great because if it doesn't fire it's just going to fly on by and then at some point they uh they i'm not sure where they got a second tone but they had a calculation that at that point they they had fired the engine long enough that they would still be in a jupiter orbit so if the engine cut off too early they knew they wouldn't fly by and not be able to get back to Jupiter. And that was a really big moment for them. Um, and then, 
and then there was a tone indicating that they had completed the engine burn after 35 minutes. Now that 35 minutes of your engine firing, I mean, that's that's a lot of thrust that's happening there. And that's because they got to slow down enough so that they can be captured into Jupiter orbit. And the, the and and in addition, they're being impacted by Jupiter's uh, Jupiter's gravity here. So Jupiter's gravity plus the 35 minute engine burn are conspiring to get Juno in an orbit that is not the final orbit it's going to be in, but is a captured orbit uh, that's pretty elliptical. Uh, so they're going way back out after after they do this, but then they know they'll be coming back to Jupiter instead of flying on by. So it slows down a lot. And and while it's doing this, it's actually going very close to Jupiter. Um, it actually kind of comes in from the north, past the North Pole, um, and down uh, the you know down around the the equator, and then down below to basically right below the South Pole, and then out. Um, and that so so it would have been if it if it wasn't turned away from the sun, and too busy doing its job to do anything else it would be a pretty spectacular video and there there are some um uh simulations of it that you can see that um, it's dramatic right because you're firing uh, suddenly this engine fires and meanwhile this enormous planet is zipping by uh, and that's what happened with juno but then it all worked they spun the ship back down to two rpm turn those solar panels those three big solar panels toward the sun again and start sending back data and uh, and it all worked. And so at the end, they're in what they call a capture orbit, which I mentioned earlier. It's not the final orbit. They're going to do two of these capture orbits. It's a 53 and a half day long uh, orbit of Jupiter. So it will it will take Juno 53 and a half days to get back to closest approach to Jupiter from July 4th when it entered. Um, this is what they call right now. It's it's in. I looked at the press kit. It's interesting to see how they, they're going to refer to these. They're going to number Juno's orbits. This is orbit zero. They don't consider this like the official start of orbit one is when it's at its, uh, what is it, Apogee, <laughs> which is the furthest point in the orbit from Jupiter. Um, and then and and then they will they will do another 53 and a half day orbit. And then they'll do uh, they'll they'll modify the orbit after that. But uh, so it's in a, it's in this really big orbit. Where is it now? Why is it not sending back pictures? It's because even though it's getting up and running, um, it's too far away now. It's there's nothing to see. the 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 way this works is it takes all of its readings when it gets very close to Jupiter, and then it kind of comes back out the other side, and you wait for a while for it to come back. and And that's where we are right now with it. Is we need to wait another fifty days basically before it gets close again, and then another. Uh, another 53 and a half days after that before it gets uh, into settled into its new orbit. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about the tones they were getting uh, back from the craft. That's really a side effect from this low power mode where everything is focused on making the burn. They had to switch from uh, an antenna that would give much more telemetry information and, and data to an antenna that really couldn't provide that sort of that sort of data. The bandwidth was much was much less. And so it is programmed to use these these tones that they play out over, you know, over the speakers in the room. They're just indicating status, really. Yeah. And it's one of those things, like you said, it's all pre-programmed, and it takes forty-eight minutes for signal to get to the craft from the craft to us via the deep space network. So even if something goes wrong, 
you're not going to know about until after the 35 minute burn is over. It really is a, a situation right. where you are um, relying on the programming and the planning that has been years in the work for this thing to do what it uh, is supposed to do. And they and they were successful, right? They they hit their their mark, and uh, and now, like you said, it's kind of booting up, getting in position, doing these two big capture orbits, and uh, and they'll be starting science here in in the fall. Right. You can't you can't see where it is. It is part of the uh, the NASA Eyes website. They've they've a iOS and Android app as well, which you can play with. That yeah. basically lets you kind of see, like in that simulation artist concept view, what Juno is doing. And they've said once data does start coming back, they're going to treat it like the New Horizons data. And there's going to be regular releases of new imagery and information, but just just not not quite yet. Yeah, but it's, I mean, if you wanted to see, you, you can actually uh, download the NASA Eyes uh, Juno uh, thing and, uh, and, and play through the orbital insertion and, and watch it. it uh, I think by default, it's one second is equal to one minute of real time. So it happens pretty fast. It's, it's a little more exciting that way. But uh, that's pretty cool. And then you can also say, where is, where is Juno now? And you can see sort of like with a map of Jupiter and its moons and then and what's the perspective from Juno. And you can also double click on Jupiter and see where's Juno from Jupiter's perspective. And uh, it's, a, it's a fun tool that they've got. And the Juno data is uh, a lot of fun to play with. Um, so where, where do we go from here? I mentioned it uh, earlier that... Uh, October 19th is the day. That's two 53-and-a-half-day capture orbits later. Um, they will fire the engines again, and uh, they go into what are called science orbits. 14-day uh, science orbits. 14, a lot closer, uh, you know, a much shorter period than the 53-and-a-half-day the capture orbits that we have here at the beginning. Um, but these are still elongated orbits. They're close to Jupiter for a very short amount of time. Um, and then they, it zips away. And then, you know, two weeks later, basically, it comes back and ducks back in. Um, they're just not as extreme as the, as the 53 and a half day orbit. That, that uh, engine firing on October 19th is 22 minutes long. So you can see that, that it was 35 minutes to get in the, in the uh, capture orbit. They're going to have another 22 minutes they fire in order to get in this much shorter orbit. So they're, again, sort of bleeding off more of their, of their speed and being able to, to create this uh, orbit that's better for the frequency that they want. Because um, what they want to do, there's a lot going on here. So that's the last burn from the main, uh, the main engine. And then after that, on every orbit, they're going to do these little trim maneuvers where they, where they change very slightly. They change the, the spacecraft's uh, flight characteristics. They change its speed and orientation um, about four hours after they go past Jupiter. And the idea there is that they will keep uh, slightly changing the orbit in a way that lets Juno track across Jupiter longitudinally. So basically, if you can imagine uh, uh, what's happening with Juno is it's flying from the North Pole to the South Pole. The next time through, it'll be sort of like a little bit over from that, and it'll do the North Pole, South Pole pass again. And the next time, it'll be a little bit you know, over from that, and it'll do the same north-south thing. And over the course of all of its orbits, the idea is here, every pass is seeing a different portion of Jupiter. So you're going to get to see a lot of Jupiter. I'm not sure whether it's all of it or not. I think maybe it is. But it's a lot of Jupiter in these long strips 
from north to south because it has to fly north to south to get out of the magne- the worst of the, the, the magnetic fields. They're kind of like diving in through the sort of the safe spot and then and then and then getting out again before Jupiter can fry the electronics. Um, and they can go. So the 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 perijove, the close point is uh, it varies, but they'll be going as close as twenty six hundred miles, forty two hundred kilometers. Um, and then in some orbits, they vary a little bit. Some orbits will be as far out as 4,900 miles, 7,900 kilometers. So there, there's definitely some variation there. This very carefully constructed set of orbits for them to see as much as they can while also not frying the, the spacecraft. And they're going to do, do 35 science orbits, I think is the plan right now. The two capture orbits and 35 science orbits for a total of 37. And that takes them through February of 2018. At which point the plan is to crash the spacecraft into Jupiter again, just to keep any bugs from Earth from infecting anything in the Jupiter system. Um, There was a question at the press conference on the night of the 4th asking if they might extend the mission based on the propellant on the spacecraft. And and my understanding is that's, you know, first off, scientists never like to talk about extended missions because extended missions mean more money. And somebody has to authorize that. And until it's authorized, they don't like to talk about it because you can't assume that somebody's going to fund your extended mission. So uh, it's possible that they could do more orbits. Um, but this is the plan for now is uh, through February of 2018, 37 orbits going from north to south on uh, over the cloud tops of Jupiter and uh, hopefully learning a lot. Yeah, it's it's exciting. I mean, I... Out of the planets, I think Jupiter still has a lot of mystery about it, just because of its size and its makeup, and this is going to help answer that. And it's um, it's going to be like I said, like the New Horizons deal, where they're they've said there's going to be imagery, there's going to be data coming out over the course of the mission, and then you know right. into the future, uh, past that. So it's the beauty of this not being a flyby. New Horizons was a flyby, but there's new data coming back all the time because of the amount that they collected here. It's a it's not a flyby. It's a series of these these flybys. And so the data is uh, it has the same effect, which is that we're going to be getting new data from Jupiter from October of this year through February of 2018. Um, Something I didn't mention about the about the the spinning, why it spins. Uh, Somebody in the chat room said it looks like more like a a, a helicopter that Galileo invented. (laughs) Galileo, he keeps coming back instead of a pinwheel. I like thinking of it as a funny pinwheel. one of the reasons that it, it spins is the instruments. It's actually the way the instruments are mounted. By spinning the spacecraft, all the instruments get a shot at whatever it's flying past. So it's it's actually like, um, you know, instead of having some object on the spacecraft that moved instruments around to have them be visible, uh, the spacecraft just moves. It just spins. And so all the instruments get their, get their shots at, at observations. And, you know, like I said, it's spinning at two... Uh, two per minute, so it's not it's not spinning super fast, but it is definitely spinning, and that gives the instruments all a fair shot at whatever it is they're looking at. I think that does it for Juno. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the only other um, thing I wanted to mention, and I, I talked about, I think this is the book I was referring to earlier, although I've read a lot of books about Jupiter. But but if if uh, people are excited about Jupiter and they want to know, um, they want to sort of like think about it a little bit more. I one of my favorite science fiction novels of all time is t- uh, 2010. Odyssey 2 by Arthur C. Clarke. It's the sequel to 2001, and they made it into a movie. 
And it, there's a long story here. 2001, the movie was kind of based on an Arthur C. Clarke story, and then he wrote a novel based on it, but based on the screenplay. But they changed the movie to be around around Jupiter instead of Saturn. And so the book 2001 is about Saturn. And this is so this is a, a sequel to the movie, but not the book. It's really confusing. And then there's a, a movie based on it that's fine. It's not great. <laughs> but the book is great. I love I love this book. Uh, and I, I definitely recommend it, even though it is now referring to a, a, year, a year that's six years behind us. Um, it's still, uh, it's still a, got a bunch of great stuff in it. Descriptions of the Jupiter system, description of Europa and what life on Europa might be like. So there's some drama and lots of interesting stuff about, uh, and something interesting happens to Jupiter at the end of it. No spoilers, but something interesting happens. So people ch- should check it out by Arthur C. Clarke. I'm sure you could find at a used bookstore, you could find a copy for, you know, like a dollar. So <laughs> if you see one, uh, don't think, oh, that's that dumb sequel to 2001 that nobody liked uh, because the movie nobody liked, or at least not very many people liked, but it's a really good book. So check it out. Cool. If you want to find show notes uh, for this week's episode, you can do that on the website, relay.fm slash liftoff slash 24. 24 of these it's wild i know we're coming up on a year of uh of uh of liftoff pretty soon you can uh follow us on tumblr uh, liftoffpodcast.space you can follow us on twitter as well the show is at liftoff podcast jason is at j snell and i'm at ismh feel free to reach out uh we love topic ideas from from you guys and uh yeah it's always fun to uh see what you guys are uh curious about uh, we also I just wanted to plug real quick. Uh, August is uh, Relay Birthday Month, and as part of that, we will be having a members only episode. Um, so if you want to learn more about that, you can go to relay.fm/liftoff. There's some membership buttons you can check it out. Help support the show directly and get some cool extra content in August. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Fun to do. I think I think that's it, Jason. I think so. Juno, all Juno all the time this time. But we be, we'll be back in a fortnight and we'll get caught up on the news and maybe there'll be... There's new stuff happening in space all the time. It's amazing. Until then, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Adios. <laughs>